I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. This episode is brought to you by sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. Sure is. Hello. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Your Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. Oh my gosh. I can't even speak right now. It's amazing. (laughs) Well, um, as is... As was the case in the mini episode, we are still recording separately as I am struggling with a cold, so if things sound a little different, that is why, unfortunately, we are not together. But we have a great topic for you today. This is something that has been on Madigan's list, I feel like, for a while. You were the first person to introduce this topic to me because... Uh, this isn't something that I had really thought about before as kind of like a pervasive thing until I'd really like stopped to think about the fact that brands do this to varying degrees. Um, I think that I it had occurred to me like growing up how much certain brands affected my self-esteem and my self-worth. Right. Um, you know, kind of those like bigger brands that we're going to get into that were very, very prevalent in the like early 2000s, like when we were kids, like in middle school and high school, uh-huh. things like Victoria's Secret and Abercrombie and & Fitch and Hollister, like those brands and how kind of what they were perpetuating was this ideal quote in quotes you know as far as like body type was concerned yeah and and tying that to like class and and, and other things race mm-hmm. and I mean that's the thing is you know I started doing my research on 
you know, just focusing on clothing companies and body shaming, but every time you read anything about a clothing company that fat shames and is very outwardly body shaming, typically you will find a lot of very racist, misogynistic undertones within that company as well. Like they really do go hand in hand. So I think that there's there's so much responsibility that we need to keep on our brands because, you know, we discuss so often um, how media had affected us growing up, especially looking at magazines and commercials and ads and things like that. I mean, I always remember the Calvin Klein ads were like really ingrained in my memory, especially in the 90s. I talk about that a little bit later in my notes as well. But, you know, there there are certain things and certain images that were really heavily perpetuated when we were children where we think of you know, the model in the ad, but we don't always think about the brains behind all of those things. And that is the brand that is creating this world of their customers and what they want their customer to look like and who you have to be in order to be worthy enough to wear their clothes. Yeah, absolutely. It's fucked up. (laughs) It is. It is definitely. And before we get into kind of like talking about these brands specifically um, and getting kind of deeper into these issues, I do want to say that we are going to be talking about bodies in this episode. Um, We're going to be talking. I know that I have some numbers and things in my notes. So if that is something that is triggering for you, if you are struggling, if you don't, if you don't want to hear about uh, that kind of thing, then this might be an episode that you want to just skip altogether. So I just want to say that off the top, you know, yeah, not trying to trigger I, anybody over here. Definitely not. And I think also along with this episode in the show notes, I will add some resources for everybody just in case they feel like they need some support or maybe they, um, you know, learned something about themselves within this episode and they need to reach out for some help. We will give those resources for that as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think it's interesting. I I know that every generation kind of struggles with their own um their own body issues that have to do with whatever the beauty standard is at whatever the time. that aesthetic is, right? Right. Yeah, and so I know that there has been a lot said. I mean, we had an entire episode kind of talking about social media and face filters and body filters and what that does to you psychologically. Uh, and I know that a lot of Gen Z kids, a lot of people on the internet right now struggle with their own self image. Um, but I think in doing my prep for this episode, what I found to be really triggering for myself was that a lot of these brands and a lot of these, these things that we see as, as body shaming in brand culture, while it still exists absolutely now today, the prevalence of it throughout the 2000s, um, because it was so tied to the beauty standard at the time, which was uh-huh. very like thin, very yes. like thin, flat. And that kind of makes me nervous because I'm seeing a lot of those fashion trends come back. I'm seeing yes. the the beauty standard shift again. And not to say that one is healthier than the other. It's just I have a it triggers me personally because it was from my like upbringing. Right. Um, right. Well, there is that there has been a culture of celebrating extreme thinness in in the past. And I do touch on one era in particular because it was one that was very like 
memorable to me and like very noticeable to me at the time and that was the heroin chic era of yeah, the 90s. the 90s. Yeah, it was very um, androgynous, dark circles under the eyes, very, very, very emaciatedly skinny. Um, Wait, frail. I mean, it was basically like you wanted to look frail, essentially. So, and, and, and like you were on drugs. Like that was part of the grunge culture. Like there was, that was the whole culture of the 90s and the model that kind of started this whole trend was um a woman by the name of Gia is it Karang Karangni I can't I feel like I'm gonna say her name wrong and she's yeah, a super Gia model. though she is a, a supermodel Angelina Jolie played her in a movie there's a wonderful yeah, in the movie Gia yeah, but yeah, the one the that great. like the one that I always remember is Kate Moss but another one was Jamie King essentially anybody that was around these three photographers, two in particular who were called the Sorrenti brothers. They were these photographers that really made this like almost cut and paste grunge teenage thing cool. And it kind of catapulted into mainstream fashion design like it had never had before. And it kind of put that very young, waif-like, drug-induced image kind of on the map until... And I'm really fascinated by the story, so I like know a lot about it. But David Sorrenti was actually only 21 years old when he passed away of a heroin overdose, which kind of started the end of that whole mm-hmm. era. But it then went into the 2000s, which still very much had that same kind of vibe, but less like heroin induced. Well, if that yeah, makes sense. the thing is. Like the thing that makes that really interesting to me is that in the nineties, that whole heroin chic kind of grungy thing, you were wearing like bigger, baggier clothes. It was just on a much frailer frame. And you like, almost it, looked like a hanger. Right. With yeah, the clothes and, on you. Yes. And it was more of a like aesthetic as far as like your body frame being that kind of like very thin, frail frame. Yeah. And I think almost less than the clothes that they were wearing, but more so the frame in which was wearing it. I think coming out of that, the fashion industry kind of went in a different direction and the beauty standard went in a different direction because it became about health, right? So that's what it was all about in the early 2000s. It was like you wanted to be Britney. You wanted to have six pack abs because she did literally a thousand sit-ups every day you wanted to look like Jennifer Aniston which was like very like strong like and you want to be tan you wanted to look healthy you wanted to look like you had (laughs) you wanted to be very tan we all wanted to be very very tan right but (laughs) along with that it was like you 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 were it was it was the yogis and the green smoothies and the pilates and yeah all of that kind of evolved yeah yes and so you were only of value physically if you looked like you were in this kind of very top shape and so along with that went with clothing that was very tight and short like very very low-rise jeans that's why i fear the low-rise jean trend coming back like i feel like i feel like a lot of gen z are making fun of millennials for like being like you will, you know, you can rip my high-waisted jeans out of my fucking cold, dead hands. Right, because, for real. <laughs> because we're traumatized by low-rise jeans because it And wearing it low-rise you, jeans with crop tops, traumatizing. Right, because it, it required you to have a very flat stomach or it didn't require you to, right? Like that was, but that was the beauty standard was like, if but you're that was the message this, that was being sent, mm-hmm, right? Then you need to look like Christina Aguilera. You need to look like Britney Spears, uh-huh. right? Because that's what those jeans are supposed to show off is like, right. 
this like ideal, right? Which was very damaging, I think, to a lot of us. And for, I know it was a big um, issue for a lot of women of color who have like naturally curvier bodies in general or anyone who had hips and a butt, like try wearing super low rise jeans. It's not going to work. Have, like, hips yeah. And, butt. and know, that's why the whale's tail became popular. I'm mm-hmm. just kidding. I'm just and rolling with it. <laughs> as we're about to get into these brands made you feel like shit. If you didn't look like that they were like buy our clothes but also make sure you look like these models if you're going to wear our clothes right we're not here to make you look good you have to look good and work hard to look good in our clothes you know right and you (laughs) want to because that's the standard right and Uh so it did it was this never-ending cycle of perpetuating things like disordered eating or exercise bulimia to get to a place where you could show off the fact that you're wearing the latest low-rise Hollister jeans to school. Yeah, you know, definitely. Um, Let's yeah. actually talk about some of those brands. The first one that I have written is one that I think was the most prevalent in my life throughout my middle school years in particular, and that is Abercrombie & Fitch mm-hmm. kind of slash Hollister because they're owned yes. by the same people, but all my notes are technically on... Abercrombie, but oh my God, I would beg my mother to spend $40 on a t-shirt with a moose on it. And I'm so sorry, mom. I'm so sorry. I I will say this and I hated it at the time um, because before I went into my rebellious emo phase, I was actually like a cheerleader. All my friends wore Abercrombie and Fitch and Hollister. Yeah. My family like at the time, like, could not afford that. So we never bought Abercrombie or Hollister, and I always felt like, like that was a bad thing. But now I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, oh my god, it was a badge of honor. It was a blessing in disguise. <laughs> well, I actually, before we even like get into any of this, I had kind of like an eye opening experience at school when I was a kid because, like, I lived two very different like realities between my school life and my skating life all the time when I was a kid and Mm -hmm. all my friends at skating were like unbelievably wealthy like yeah I was the poor friend it's a Mm -hmm. really rich sport like everybody was like stinking fucking rich and I just always felt like you know I would save my money to be able to buy myself a juicy couture tracksuit that I literally wore for ten years just to make worth it. You oh, know what yeah. I mean? I'm like, it was something. It like we we were more well off when I was growing up and my dad was working. So like I, when I was at school, in comparison, I probably had a lot more than a lot of my other classmates did, and that was something that I never really realized. And also privilege surrounding Abercrombie was never oh, yeah. really something that I thought about. Mm-hmm. And I, there's, I will never forget something that a friend of mine named Mary said to me in middle school. She was black and I went to a school that was very, very diverse. And I was wearing like a long sleeve Abercrombie shirt under my uniform and it said Abercrombie down the sleeve. And she looked at me and she was like, that's a white girl store. And I had never mm-hmm. thought of it like that before. Because I always was just like, well, but I want to like fit in 
with all the rich kids at skating yes. and I'm going to I'm going to spend the 40 bucks on the moose shirt and I'm going to be super cool and I'm going to totally fit in. I had never heard anyone talk shit about Abercrombie at all and that was a huge like well wait what? Moment it was very for me. it was very coded. So in 2013 there were comments from the Abercrombie CEO Mike Jeffries um, that resurfaced Boo. from an interview from an interview that he had done previously. And he said in that interview that the company only wanted attractive, all-American, cool kids to wear their brand. And yeah. to me, when, when I read something like all-American, that's very much a dog whistle for white to me. It's coded 100%. language for white. And yes, you can be like, oh, but they had, they had some shirtless male Abercrombie models so that, that were African-American. So... They weren't racist, but it's like, no, 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 no. It's still very, very, very pigeonholed. <laughs> it's very much the exception to the rule. Uh-huh. Abercrombie, I don't even think really ever made a secret of the fact that they were like, we are a brand for football players, cheerleaders, and preppy popular kids. Like exactly. that was kind of, that was well, what they were going for. Yes. And, and the end, were wealthy enough to afford that brand. Yeah. And at the end of that quote that you began says, a lot of people don't belong in our clothes and they can't belong. Are we exclusionary? Absolutely. I mean, that says it all right there. Like, and that's what I was, you know, kind of speaking on the beginning of this episode it is the brand's intent to design what their customer base is going to look like. And when somebody has such an unbelievably twisted view of what that's supposed to be, they can then project that onto the world as much as they want. And it makes us begin to take on that same thought process. And it's it's terrible, too, because... I know that there are a lot of people who would say, like, what's wrong with a brand being exclusive, right? Like, what's wrong with that? But... When it's marketed towards literal children, it's marketed towards teenagers, uh, people in middle school and high school, which is already an incredibly difficult time. Yeah. I think adding these these additional kind of like classist, racist undertones to a brand that is supposed to be the pinnacle of popularity. Right. I think it does perpetuate these like classist racist notions in well, school. Well, right. And I get a different vibe from exclusionary and exclusive. Exclusive to me means it's maybe going to be more expensive, better made, limited time, you know, something like that where exclusionary is like we don't, there's a whole group of people that we don't want. It's not about our product being so fantastic and exclusive. It's about we need to make sure that there's a whole group of people or multiple groups of people that don't get to be involved in this at all to make sure our only demographic is this one person. And like, Mm -hmm. that's what's so unbelievably frustrating. And they have come under fire for their employment practices as well. Oh, yeah. I knew a girl who I went to high school with who worked at Abercrombie. It was hell. Like she told me about it. And again, we're talking about children. Like she was in high school. Like we didn't feel like yeah. children at the time, but she was a teenager. And I think the my pressure, friend Emily worked at Abercrombie too in high school at one point and it, hated it. It was ridiculous. The pressure that they put on her, they controlled her appearance. Oh my the gosh. Point, they controlled how she wore her hair, what color it was. And they did control what she weighed like yep. they, you had to weigh under a certain amount um that was one thing that there. i remember hearing 
all the time around the mall when I was like in Abercrombie. Always. What does that do to a sixteen-year-old girl, a seventeen-year-old girl? Absolutely horrible things. Absolutely horrible things. And they've also come under fire for discriminating against Black, Latinx, and Asian Americans for floor sales positions and store management positions. They were known to only recruit employees from primarily white fraternities and sororities, a practice they promised they would stop doing in like 2013 or whenever all that came out. Um, They have also been... There have also been numerous lawsuits over the company's, quote, look policy, including the firing of a Muslim woman in San Mateo, California, and the mistreatment of a differently abled employee as well. Not surprising at all. Not surprising at all. Yeah, there was the woman who was differently abled in one of the articles that I read. She is missing a forearm and one of her arms. And so there was some sort of like agreement that like she wouldn't have to wear certain items of clothing that they had and certain things like that. Like she could just wear what she felt comfortable with in the store or whatever. And then her bosses got like hard on her about like what she was wearing and made her have to kind of like display it more, which she didn't feel comfortable with and, you know, different things things like that, that just put their employees in really difficult positions. And like we were just saying, I feel like most of the people, I don't know how it is now, but most people that work jobs like that are typically like high school students. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that there were, again, college age students when you're talking about fraternities and sororities and things like that. Um, But yeah, I think in general, it's mostly teenagers. And what are you saying about about somebody whenever you're saying if if you're going to work here if you're going to wear our clothes you need to be under 120 pounds or whatever it is um it's incredibly damaging i think it would take a long time to undo that kind of thinking i know a friend um i have a friend we both know who was in a theater company where they would weigh them all the women, not the men, but all the women would have weekly weigh-ins in front of everybody else Yeah, a theater company. So for her, you know, having gone through something like that, it affects her to this day. Yeah. And it has taken years and years of therapy to undo that mentality. Right. So absolutely, I would not allow my teenage daughter to work in an environment like this. I wish a motherfucker would i really do i wish i mean then there's gonna have to be a lot of other things that you're gonna have to shield your daughter from because i mean think about all of the sports that are so like particular about aesthetic and pageantry and acting and theater i mean it's everywhere it's literally like shoved in our faces all the times that we are supposed to like look act behave and be a certain way and it's absolutely crippling your value is intrinsically tied to this as well like I think that that's a big part of it is like you're saying that my value is intrinsically tied to my weight 100% or my size of clothing yeah which is something that I I certainly struggled with like absolutely feeling that way that like I'm only of value I think most people do like Mm -hmm. I really think that like especially because we're people that like factual things like numbers and sizes and being able to evaluate things in ourselves in certain ways and the more tangible that is the easier it is for us to get wrapped up in it and that's why 
literally everybody can relate to it in some way, shape, or form. Well, and you the know? world has reinforced it at every turn. Right. The world has reinforced it at every turn. And I'm grateful to see that that is starting to change, that we're calling it out more, which is why having conversations like this is so important. It's why so calling important. brands out is so important. Yes. Uh, because the conversation, the narrative around this stuff has got to shift. Yeah. It, it, the amount of damage that it does is absolutely unacceptable. Uh, so speaking of that, let's jump into one that did a number on me growing up. Because like it. I said, I mean, I couldn't really afford Abercrombie growing up. So I just said, fuck it, I'll shop at Hot Topic and changed my entire personality. Here for it. <laughs> but you do one, you. That for me, as somebody who was like very eager to grow up, very excited about things like um, being old enough to wear lingerie and feel yeah. sexy, Victoria's Secret had, like, I cannot emphasize enough. And I know that it might seem weird now because Victoria's Secret now kind of feels like a brand that's almost washed up. It's like not as big a deal. But it really I is just cannot... kind of like an everyday mall brand. But when yes, we were kids, absolutely. it really was presented as like a chokehold on the early 2000s man it oh my god the Victoria's Secret fashion show was like everything everything like the early 2000s Victoria's Secret and pink I remember when they came out with pink which was supposed to be for like teenagers bless those sweatpants I lived in them with the different colors they were like a lime green oh their Mm -hmm. PJs they had very 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 soft tops as well like they're just regular cotton shirts and everything their yoga pants were very soft oh yeah they had me hook line and sinker for probably and a good again, 10 years this was a very materialistic time period like this yes. time period having these kinds of like accessible brands uh, where you could get pants that said pink on the butt and that was like a status symbol I was just school. gonna say it's a status symbol it, it isn't about just wearing the style that's in it's about wearing that specific brand and showing right. off that you can you know afford to like live mm-hmm. the life of that brand and it also said something for me it felt very <laughs> even if it was pink like not Victoria's Secret but the pink brand yeah it said it said I'm grown up and it also evoked uh-huh. this like idea of like I had to go into the sexy store to buy these pants you know what right. I mean like yeah all of that played into it for me yeah and so for me I think it was a way to wear sweat pants every day for like two years without having to like say like oh but I like don't look cute I could like still like somewhat like look cute and go to school but I literally just wore sweatpants and sweatshirts every single day (laughs) that's me now that's who I am now like literally I just want to be in sweats at this point in my life but at that point I just wanted to look cute like I just wanted to look cute well and and especially for me when I started dating it was a really big deal for me that all of my bras and underwear had to come from Victoria's Secret or I remember also getting a couple bras from like Abercrombie once but like there really was something about like because I think men had such an obsession with Victoria's Secret as well that there was this like idea pushed upon women where it's like, okay, well, men want us all to be these angels, right? So when my boyfriend takes my top off when I'm 16, he better see the most adorable hot pink. Yes, yes, and the most adorable Mm -hmm. hot pink lacy 
perfect plunge push-up bra because he's going to give a shit. You know what right. I mean? And like that, that was another thing is like, as an adult, we know that lingerie is not meant to be worn as regular undergarments. But at the time it was like, you could only afford so many bras. So we were going right. out and buying these like lacy bras that then we were wearing underneath like regular t-shirts <laughs> because we owned two bras. You know what I mean? Which is not what those are for. Like you're supposed to have your regular everyday bras and then you have like a couple like nice lacy bras that are strictly for sexy time like that's all that's for well and Um, a big thing for me as well and I think this still kind of goes underneath the whole body shaming category and Keegan I know you feel this struggle too I am perfectly fine with my boobs now they have grown since I was a child but I was called mosquito bites I was jokingly called double D because I was so obviously not a double D Um, and so for me I was very self-conscious about how flat chested I was so I would make whatever I had work (laughs) so yeah you're buying that like push up the massive like air Mm -hmm. pocket push up bra that Mm -hmm. is somehow making my like triple a boobs look like a C cup somehow you know what I mean Mm -hmm. like that was all I wanted because I just I didn't feel womanly enough like I I still joke to this day I'm like I'm like a two by four you know what I mean there's just no curve to me and that was something that like I've always really wanted like I've always really wanted to have like a butt and boobs and hips and be like that sexy Victoria's Secret angel and I would look in the mirror and I'd be like well there's frumpy old Madigan again and that was just really hard for me (laughs) the funny thing about that is that the Victoria's Secret angel, right? So when we're talking about that, so in 2014, Victoria's Secret released a lingerie collection called Body. And they had this ad campaign. And in this ad campaign, it was all of the Victoria's Secret angels. And it said across it, the perfect body. And every single one of these women had the same body. Like if you had shown it to me. It was so barf. If you had literally like... I'll post it when I when I post the episode. I mean, I on remember Instagram. this. It w- it, if you want to see it, it wasn't that long ago. It was like what seven years ago now. I don't know math, but like yeah. it, it's very like it, it's it feels very present to me still. That whole yeah. ad, yeah. I mean, and you could if if you put your arm over their faces and heads, with the exception of there are two models of color in yeah. this ad. With the exception of that they would be interchangeable. Their bodies are exactly the same. Uh, And, you know, for as much as it gave us all a complex about having like Adriana Lima's like bust line, um, their bodies were very kind of straight up and down. Like there's a lot of criticism also from very curvy women feeling like, like they didn't fit the standard either because, well, yeah, because also the sizing, they're probably also not making their super plungy, sexy, hot pink, lacy bras in a size G. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) it's very, very limited. And this particular advertisement, so they'd already faced a fair amount of criticism, right. right? They'd already faced a fair amount of criticism, but this advertisement got widespread backlash online. Um, it was criticized for rightly body shaming women. Yeah. And there were a lot of campaigns that kind of did 
similar shoots where they had women of varying ages and abilities and sizes and colors doing kind of the same photo shoot. Yeah, and I don't remember if it was during this time or if it was something that just kind of continued afterward, but I remember posting a picture of this on our Instagram like years ago probably, but it was a group of like quote-unquote plus-size models in front of Victoria's Secret in just like nude-colored lingerie in a form of yes, protest. Yes. And yeah. I've seen that happen a lot since then as well. Yeah, so there was a petition that was circulated online that demanded that Victoria's Secret apologize and change the poster, and it got over 30,000 signatures, and the hashtag I am perfect started trending on Twitter. So VS Angels and their ads, they held women up to this absolutely impossible standard that left like 99.9% of us feeling insecure about our bodies. At best, I really do feel like it made us feel insecure about our bodies at best and promoted disordered eating at worst. I remember around you, the time that the Victoria's Secret fashion show would happen every year, magazines would the spotlight. Diet? Yes, they would spotlight different angels and highlight their workout and dieting routines Guess days before who the show. Literally, like this is how psychopaths crazy I was in my eating disordered mind. And I talk, I wrote in my notes during the whole like Kate Moss heroin chic stuff. My lock screen for like a year was that like nothing feels as good as skinny feels skinny, quote. Yeah, nothing and, tastes as good as skinning yeah, feels. Whatever. Yeah. Fuck that fucking shit. Yeah, whatever. It's yeah, bullshit. Yeah. But like I would like look up. Victoria's Secret model diet and write it in my journal so I could remember it and that would be ingrained in my fucking head and then every time I'd eat something else I felt like a piece of shit and yes I was predisposed to a lot of other things that would make me obsess about something like that but like it just goes to show you how it really can like make you fucking obsess about something that is so unbelievably arbitrary and harmful. I think that it was incredibly prevalent at this time. Like, I think that it was incredibly... Oh, I wasn't weird for doing it. Like, and, no. and, and we were all open about talking about that stuff, too. Well, and that's, that's the that's other thing. What I was going to say is that it's it's kind of wild, and it is interesting to me how far we've come, even in that, like seven-year span, 10-year span, because this stuff was published in magazines as though this was something to aspire to, as though this was an ideal. Whereas now, I think rightly, everyone would be like, whoa, like that doesn't seem okay because they would advocate for things like eating a handful of grapes and some nuts and not drinking any water because they want their abs to stand out and working out obsessively, right? Like that was the kind of thing they would promote and that was held up as like, oh, this is something that we should all do if we want to look like a Victoria's Secret angel. Yeah, and and nobody questions that. And like that's a way to sustain a life. Spoiler, it is not. It is not. But they never framed it like that. I think that that was part of the problem was their And they never showed the models afterwards having to go to In-N-Out and binging on 16 burgers because they haven't eaten in a week. No, they presented it as though this is a lifestyle that could be sustainable for you. And that if you want to look like a Victoria's Secret angel, you need to do this day in, day out, 365. Ugh, barf, again. First of all, you shouldn't be doing it at all. Like, even they shouldn't be doing it the two weeks leading up to their to to walking in the show. That speaks to the insanely high high standards that we put models through and that we have, you know, for our beauty standards in <laughs> for general. another episode. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But beyond that, 
it was framed as this is a lifestyle that is yeah. achievable. And I remember like I would go through my like Cosmo girl magazines and every single one of them had dieting tips and yep. workout tips and I would rip them out and I would put them in a separate booklet. And that was like my, my Bible. Yeah. For, like, these are, these are recipes that I can have. These yeah. are workouts that I can do to and get And how that unbelievably body. twisted is it for actual children that we were to be able to be obsessing over these things so mm-hmm. much because we, we were just, taking notes we were legit taking yeah. notes you know what i mean and i'm i'm hoping that at least this has been discussed enough by now that that is not happening to teenagers in this era as often i'm sure it is still very prevalent but i'm hoping that because of the changing in a lot of our advertising and in a lot of these brands as well. Hopefully some of that is changing, but it is not gone because there is another brand that I want to talk about that I see at work all the time and I hate it so much. And that is Brandy Melville. Yes. Can I just, sorry, before we talk about Brandy Melville, can I just wrap it up with Victoria's Secret really quickly? Do it, do it, go. Okay. So just to wrap it up with Victoria's Secret, in the wake of the body positivity movement of the last several years, and and after several quote-unquote faux pas, including the aforementioned Perfect Body campaign, um, the chief marketing officer, Ed Rozick, told Vogue in 2018 that the brand was not interested in hiring transgender or plus-size models and sales began mm. to plummet after like those series of events happened. So Thank in 2021, God. yeah, in 2021, Victoria's Secret has made an attempt to rebrand, which to me is a very thinly veiled and hollow attempt to win back consumers. Right. Uh, and they have now begun to hire models of varying sizes, colors and abilities. And while I appreciate this, I feel like this is important to say because I do appreciate this. I think visibility and representation is incredibly important. To me, this feels like capitalist activism. Yeah. Right? Like they've realized that they've lost money and they're kind of like hyper exclusive, exclusionary um, idea of what their brand should be isn't working for them anymore because yeah. the culture has shifted. Yep. And so they've decided to change it. And to me, it's not enough for me to forgive them for all of the damage they did to me. No, no, <laughs> it's really not in high school. Very much yes. not enough. I do want to, because I don't want us to forget to mention them at any point. I love Aerie. I have to say, I love what they've done with their ad campaigns. They don't do any touch-ups or anything like that. They're so inclusive with their models. If I forget to mention it later, bless you, Aerie. You're wonderful. So I have a list of some body-positive fashion brands love this. Uh, to mention at the end of this, and Aerie is on that list. Wonderful. Yes. Good, because yeah. I love them. Okay. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. 
With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cashback boost. That's an extra 10% cashback on top of the 15% cashback. You won't see higher cashback rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. This episode is brought to you by Saks.com. At Saks.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So let's talk a little bit about Brandy Melville. Uh, Brandy Melville is not a person. It is like the two owners' names combined. I was a little bit disappointed in that, but I should have known because these people are pieces of shit. The company's founder, owner, and CEO is a douche canoe by the name of Stephen Marson. Brandy Melville projects an image of young, thin, pretty whiteness and aims yes. to sell clothes to that exact demographic as the majority mm-hmm. of their clothing is one size fits most. Which is ludicrous because it's I was taking most? not even close, not even close. Because I was looking at, I was looking at this brand uh, in the prep for this episode because before TikTok, I'd not really heard of them. They people a talk brandy? about them. Of uh, no, I really. really. Oh, yeah, they're no. such they're they're a really really big California brand. So there was, that doesn't surprise me. At there all. was only a few of them, and there was one at the Third Street Promenade in Santa Monica that I was obsessed with because they I loved their sweatshirts and their sweaters in particular. I really liked the material. I thought they were really great. I didn't really ever buy any pants there. I bought maybe a couple like basic tank tops and stuff because it really was like if you didn't fit that item, you were out of luck. Like you just couldn't right. wear I mean, it. And as like the thing is, as a petite person, sometimes I have like kind of short and stuff like sometimes I have trouble finding um, skirts and stuff that hit me in the right place that aren't like too long for me or whatever. So I understand the appeal of wanting to have a like uh, of having a petite kind of like brand or something that like is supposed to fit shorter bodies or but whatever. It's but it's not this, being marketed as a petite no. brand. And it's also they don't really even market the fact that their clothes are one size fits most. And that's what's really frustrating. So 
if you were to go into Brandy Melville and say, get a pair of pants, Mm -hmm. most of their pants are going to be a 25-inch waist, which is... And most of their models are 5'7 or taller, like normal model height. Right, exactly. Yeah. But but a 25-inch waist is such an unbelievably small percentage of not even just teenage women, but women in general who would be typically shopping at these stores. Right. It, that is so much sm- smaller than any of the average person. So they are truly looking for people who are either like prepubescent or killing themselves to be prepubescent. Yeah, I mean, well, and I'm not and saying again, that. Like there are other like there I'm I'm a petite person. I can fit into Brandy Melville stuff. Like, you know, yeah. I, like that is I'm not just saying it's only for unhealthy people. Um but that is the image that they're projecting because especially the fact that they use so many really really young models but they still advertise for adults to wear their clothing as well which is it skews with your brain a lot i mean again it perpetuates this disordered eating mentality because it has actually become in my in my prep for this episode again they are not a brand that i was super familiar with um but in my prep for this episode it does appear that especially in places like california wearing brandy melville it says something about your status it says something about who you are it upholds this idea that thinness equals goodness or thinness is something that you should aspire to as a a matter of um worth as a matter of worth yeah you know what i mean yeah and and it is a bit of a status symbol to be able to wear something that's very obviously from Brandy Melville and wear it around and be able to say, oh, you know, I'm I'm able to shop in this store. Like, that does say something. Right, and you can't. Yes. Right, and you probably can't. Right, yeah. and so it does, when it works sometimes for girls who are prepubescent, but as their bodies grow and change and they want to be able to still fit into that mold of like, I can still shop at this place, it does lend itself to really unhealthy relationships with their bodies Especially and with Especially when the brand is telling you that you can grow with the brand. Like if you go right. online, like it is geared toward adults with these pictures of what I would assume to be not adults <laughs> in, in a lot of them. You know what I mean? But, right. it's, yeah. but it's telling you that you should be able to still fit into their clothes even when your body is growing and changing. And that's really messed up. Right, right. And, you know, these clothes are, when they say one size fits most, it should be said that these clothes fit a extra small to a small. Yeah. That's how limited it is. Yeah. It's and not like, like this the is tops that's, maybe to a medium. Maybe. Right. Right. It's not like this is sometimes you'll buy something on Amazon that's like a one size fits all kind of thing or one size fits most. And it's like kind of a very loose fitting thing or it has like it's drawstrings like or, or, <laughs> yeah, or something like that. That's not what this is. No. This is these are literally clothes that are made for extra small and small and even then it's very limited by body type right yeah. like i could maybe fit into their clothes but they're clearly made for people who do not have a butt and thighs yeah <laughs> you know what i yeah. mean um it you can be the right size and the wrong shape and you won't fit into their exactly. clothes exactly so yeah. 
Like it is very clearly specifically for a certain type of woman. Yes. And not girl. Yeah, exactly. And not only are the customers fat shamed, but the employees are fat shamed. So actually, there is a girl that I work with now that used to work there and told me a few stories like she was meant to only work in the back because she wasn't pretty enough. (gasps) Yeah, like it's like this is recent stuff. Like it's really, really shitty. And they treat we got to put these companies out of business. Oh, my gosh. This place makes my blood boil. So most retail outposts must send full body selfies to brand executives daily with some of the employees being as young as 14. Daily? Daily. They have Uh -uh. to show what they're wearing to work. They have to show. And because it started off, I don't know if this is still happening up to now, but this isn't a company where there are that many storefronts. So I think it was pretty easy for the CEO and for like the higher ups to be able to keep tabs on what their employees were wearing and doing and what they looked like. Um, I'm sorry. I look, I I need to go into one of these stores, find a 14 year old who's working and be like, call your mom. I just want to talk. Oh, for real. Because uh-uh. Like, yeah. who is oh, letting because, their 14 year old be subjected to this? Right. Absolutely Because not. then if Marson didn't like what he saw, the employee could be fired on the spot. One former California employee said, in retrospect, it's really fucking weird that we all, us underage people, had to text this mid to late 30s guy photos of no. what we were wearing. no. No, 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 no. I told you. I Absolutely told you. not. <laughs> another no. another former employee, Luca Rotundo, who worked as the senior vice president of the company, said that he had been ordered to fire hundreds of staffers for things such as the worker being heavy or, quote, unattractive. If Marson thought the store had too many black employees. What empl- does that mean? I know. Oh, girl, I'm. Oh, I'm getting mad. Also, (gasps) if Marson thought the store had too many black employees, they would be replaced with a new white employee. One, uh, Luca also said in that interview, if she was black, if she was fat, he didn't want them in the store. Marson would also sit with the other senior executives above the showroom and check out the customers. If they liked how a girl looked, they hit a button... This is so Harvey Weinstein. They hit a button that would signal the cashier to get the customer's details and offer her a job. Mm-mm. Yeah. Yeah. They even, employees would be asked to model clothes in front of Marson with a lot of them feeling like if they changed in front of him, that would get them this like special employee status, which means shopping sprees, work trips to Hawaii and Italy, yeah. and the use of a quote, brandy apartment in Soho, New York. So these women are like, Doing young these women. young, young, yeah. young women are doing these special favors for this guy in order to maybe hopefully get this special employee status. Okay, well, I'm uh, furious. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, along with that. along with that, there were like there was a whole investigation done by Insider, and in that investigation, they found hundreds of screenshots, reviews by reviewed by team members that show Marson and others swapping pornography, racist memes, and Nazi propaganda in a chat with more than 30 men. Hold the phone. 
Why? What? Why? Fuck how Brandy is this Melville. Company still in business. I don't know. How and are they, they still operating? And they have other companies below them. There's another designer. Please by the give name me a of, list because we're gonna post that. To yeah. Our Instagram because so, I don't want anybody shopping at anything affiliated with any of these. No. People. There's uh-uh. a company called John Galt, and they are through Brandy Melville as well. And they're kind of like special thing is that this designer only makes a certain amount of like one design. So it is kind of a thing that like if you have this one John Galt item, you very well could be like one of only X amount of people that have that and then you're never going to be able to get it again. So there is also this like exclusivity of the actual product as well with some of their other like kind of like branched down companies and stuff. It's a whole mess of crap but should we Yo, go we, we gotta we gotta stop it we gotta stop it with this stuff i gotta tell you like it's it's as somebody who will be 32 soon it it does not matter like what you wear genuinely it does not matter that much and wear I clothes even, that you like that you feel comfortable and yes. good in that feel like yourself you can find those anywhere you can find them at the thrift store like you do not need to wear labels because i guarantee you that the people who matter do not mind don't they don't mind nope. uh, that you're not wearing you a just label like or you're not wearing something specific. quoted my favorite quote of all time and i hate that one of my favorite quotes of all time is from such a racist motherfucker like dr seuss oh yeah damn it yeah but the people who matter don't mind they don't and the people who mind don't matter they that's really that's absolutely look if your friends care about the fact that you're not wearing brandy melville then you need some new friends i'm your friend now we're I- done <laughs> I am your friend now. <laughs> yeah, we're done. Like we n- immediately know. Get rid of done. them. All right. Well, should we talk about the absolute dumpster fire that is Lululemon? Of course we should. We have to. Like they take the crazy cake, in my opinion. I think Brandy Melville is like they're nipping at their heels, but Lululemon has been going strong in their cultist crazy racist misogynistic bullshit for far too fucking long you know what there's a real common theme of a lot of male ceos owning companies that are targeted towards women Hmm. that's another very young women too that's another thing to keep in mind is like these these men are trying to control women's bodies the patriarchy will get you it'll get you it's why it's important to have women-owned brands. Yes. It really, truly is. So important. And to, like, diversify brands, too. <laughs> like, my God. Yeah. So important. So let's get into Lululemon a little bit. I feel like so much of this controversy came out in 2013. There must have been something going on in 2013 with a lot of these fashion brands where all this stuff People got were leaked. waking up. Clearly, it's wild. So in 2013, the founder, Chip Wilson, was asked to step down following a number of allegations against him by the public. Chip has a history of commenting on women's bodies, like saying that, yeah, fucking, I'm just going to call him Chip because he's such a fucking Chip, right? Ugh. I've met some great chips, but whatever. Um, yeah, hashtag not all chips, but still. <laughs> but still, yeah. chip. Ugh. Um, he said that yoga pants, that their yoga pants don't work for women who have thighs that touch, that birth control pills are causing divorce divorce rates to spike, like all Thank, sorts of Are you an expert in that chip? Thank you so much for your opinion. Yeah. Oh, I'm getting so heated. It might be the wine. 
It might be. I'm having some wine. Maybe it's the wine. Yeah. And he's been trashed since day one. So the company was founded in 1998 with a Forbes Enterprise value of $8.8 billion. The douche canoe claims to have named the company Lululemon. This is really horrible and honestly kind of trigger warning because it's like super, super racist and awful. Um, He named it Lululemon because of the amount of L's in the name. He thought it would be funny for the Japanese buyers to say it. Trash. Absolute fucking trash. You know, it's amazing to me when people are this genuinely awful. Right? Like, this is the same feeling that I get when I'm watching Succession, and I'm like, people aren't like this, right? I I haven't started that show yet, and I really want to. Am I going to love it? I love Kieran Culkin. Well, here's the thing. It's... Succession is such a good show. It is filmed so well. The acting and the writing is superb, but... I can only watch one or two episodes at a time because they're awful. Like, like I want to believe that they're caricatures of what like super wealthy people are like, but, but they're I don't probably think so. not. I don't think so. I think that this is what these people are like. And yeah. they're just like genuinely horrible. They're horrible human beings. So back into 2013, some customers began complaining about the quality of the clothing with some items being too sheer or having holes appear or falling apart completely after just a few wears. And this led to a huge recall of all of these pans and for douchebag Chip to blame the customers for wearing the clothing improperly or for having body shapes not made for his clothing. What? Yeah, he blamed the the fat you customers. You make stretchy pants, Chip. Like they should fit every like that's and the not be fucking sheer pants. when you pu- when you bend over. And that's the thing: a pair of Lululemon yoga pants are like a hundred bucks or a hundred and twenty bucks. They're so expensive. Mm-hmm. I don't want to spend a hundred and twenty bucks on a pair of pants and then do a downward dog with the entire class seeing my underpants. I don't want no. it. I don't want it. No. In 2021, a Business Insider report revealed that an unnamed company director pushed employees to create an All Lives Matter campaign to be displayed on their website after the murder of George Floyd. Now, this has nothing to do with body shaming, but I had to. I had to. This company sucks. So the employees were like, this is fucked up. We don't want to do that. We really don't want to make an All Lives Matter campaign. But they were kind of like forced to make this mock up. But they were like, well, we're also going to make a Black Lives Matter campaign then at the same time. And that was actually the one that ended up being used. But then because it was more profitable for Chip. Of course, of course. But it still came up that there was the this unnamed employee that was like, forcing everybody to make this all lives matter design. Um, The company has also come under fire for false advertising when selling leggings allegedly made of seaweed that came with certain health benefits and legal disputes with other companies over intellectual property of its design of yoga pants. And I don't even mention the fact that there was a fucking murder that occurred in the store by an employee. This place is it, there's a, a special place in hell for Lululemon. I'm I'm not gonna lie to you. I definitely when I'm shopping at Ralph's and I see a woman with yoga pants on and I see that little Lululemon like insignia on it, I give a little side eye. Yes. I do. I'm like, mm, 
Mm. <laughs> I do have to say, this could is be like completely innocent, you know. Yeah, I do totally, have a workaround. There's a part of me that's like, I don't know, man. I have a workaround with these, and I don't. And listeners, tell me if this is a bad workaround. But I work in a secondhand store, so we have a lot of Lululemon stuff. I don't, I don't work out, so like, I don't really have any use for workout clothes or anything like that. But to me, if I were to buy a pair of Lululemon pants, I would rather buy them through my store secondhand or on Poshmark or something like that because they're already out in the world than actually give money to that company. Same thing with Brandy Melville. Like I bought, I bought a sweatshirt, you know, like, but I'm not gonna, I don't want to give them that money directly. But when I find it at a thrift store or a secondhand store and I'm like, I like the sweatshirt, I'll buy it. I I think it can go any number of ways, right? Because like, I, I definitely feel that way about certain brands. Like, I used to like Dolls Kill. Like, I think they're such a cool kind of like alternative. They're a very cool brand, but. But they're extremely racist. They're very problematic. Yeah. Do not buy from Dolls Kill. They've stolen from indie creators. Yeah, we just Um, stopped kind of like taking in a lot of Dolls Kill stuff to the store because we used to take it in a ton because it was like very like hip to what like one of our demographics are. But then like all this stuff started coming out more and more. And we're like, ah, yeah, no they, more. They steal from indie creators all the time and they don't give credit. It's terrible. Yeah. You know, and so there has been a question around like, okay, but like if you see it at a thrift store, can you, can you buy it? And in general, I think shopping secondhand is so much more sustainable that I'm always pro shopping secondhand. But what I would warn about and why I probably wouldn't buy Lululemon because um, there is the logo on it. Yeah. So I wouldn't buy anything that says Dolls Kill yeah. because I'm still giving you free promotion. Like I'm still promoting totally. this brand that I don't believe in. Totally. And so I probably wouldn't wear Lululemon leggings either because it has the Lululemon logo on it and Great I'm not trying point. to promote it. You know, but in general, I would say, yeah, if there's something that you like, but say, you know, you don't want to support Urban Outfitters, but you find something Urban Outfitters at a Crossroads or a Buffalo Exchange or whatever, then yeah, I don't personally have a problem with that, but that's my personal opinion. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too, but I'm like, there's probably someone out there that has a reason why that's not a good idea. I'm totally open to hearing that opinion, but that's kind of my workaround with that. Um, But back to the... I hate saying Lululemon. Back to Lululemon, um, there was a former employee that discussed the fact that all of their size 10 and up items are usually just kind of like clumped into the back of the store behind a table, not folded, not displayed, so that whenever customers who would be of that size walk into the store, they look around and they don't even see anything in their size. They have size. to ask, which is embarrassing it's embar- or can be embarrassing. Well, and because... And, and who... Who's even going to do that? Like if I were to walk into a store and look around and not see my size anywhere, that's my cue to leave. So are they only making it so that they can say that they offer sizes up to that size? Because like otherwise you're wasting money. Well, and also leaving money on the table. But this is the thing: the douchebag Chip says that the reason he doesn't make more plus size clothing is because it takes thirty percent more fabric to create the clothing, which means that he would have to charge a higher price for them. So the designs they do have in sizes ten and up are essentially like designs from four years ago and the same pants that they just keep out there there's never any like new designs this has always felt like bullshit to me because then what i don't understand is 
there's a big difference, right? There just is between a size zero and a size 10. But you can sell a size zero and a size 10 for the same amount of money. Why is every size not on a sliding scale then? Yeah. Why is it not? Yeah. Why, are, why aren't you saying sizes zero through four are this price yep. and then sizes six through eight are this price exactly. and then so on? Why? Why? Why is it suddenly an issue whenever it's like... Because he's being called on it. Because he's being called on it. Yeah, it's it's complete bullshit. It's absolute bullshit. And the thing that's really upsetting is that this cutoff point at Lululemon is actually where most American women tend to live. Um, The breakoff point to what is considered to being plus size in the U.S. is mostly at about a size 12. Some say it's a size 14 and above, though the average dress size among American women is a size 14, according to a 2013 study by Women's Wear Daily. So that would mean that the majority of American women would fall into the category of the plus sized items at this store that they're not even showing as an option for the majority of people that could come into the store. I just said that really weird, but you know what I mean. No, I understand what (laughs) you're saying. I really didn't expect this topic to make me as angry as I feel. Well, hey, I'm always here for a, a surprising anger fest. Yeah, you know, I think I'm tired. I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. I'm just like, you know what? (laughs) <laughs> the amount of energy I had was so low already and you just spent it all. You spent it all. <laughs> Fucking douchebag um, chip. But I do, I, we are reaching an hour and I do want to highlight the brands that are good brands yes, to keep an eye on. Absolutely. But before we do that, I do really, really want to quick talk about the sizing chart because I think that's another yes. thing that is good idea. Uh, something that we can very easily compare ourselves to. And so let's just even talk about where we even got this sizing chart, this standard sizing chart, there was a study in 1941 of women's body sizes for clothing, and that was to be the new global universal size chart. Of course, the study focused on white women, most of whom wore girdles and corsets under their clothing, so their measurements were off. This is the system that we've pretty much run since that time, and the hope is that technology can change that. There are some people that want to create like 3D imaging for size charts and things like that, but for the most part, when we are looking at you know, what size to get online when we're ordering on Amazon or whatever, that is a standard that has been set to us by 1941 white women. So don't compare yourselves to them. And they were wearing fucking girdles and corsets. Fuck it, you know? And they're so inconsistent anyway that it doesn't even matter. Like, that was something that I learned whenever I was trying on wedding dresses and stuff. Yeah. Was like, wedding dress sizing, completely different. Yes. Completely different. And that's why... like, regular dress sizing. It's... It's don't just it yes. doesn't matter. And like, I, all those things I don't have matter. customers that will complain to me on the regular about not being able to fit into certain clothes. And I always tell them, I say, you are not meant to fit the clothes. The clothes are meant to fit you. Absolutely. And especially yeah. at a store that I work at where you're trading in clothes and you're here to buy new stuff. I'm like, this is an opportunity for you to find an amazing new wardrobe of clothes that actually fit you and make you feel awesome. Right. I mean, and that's what we should be focused on. And I understand in this new world where we're shopping so much online and it is actually important that, you know, like maybe not your size, but like your dimensions dimensions, so that you can figure out like what fits you right. 
it should be about what you feel good and confident in. Yeah. Like that's what it sh- that that's what should matter. Like trying to um force yourself to fit into a certain size that's not going to be helpful for you. Find the size that fits your body and makes you feel good yeah. and wear that thing. And also and I feel like, like that's no, go ahead. Also find the brands that make you feel really good because I yeah. think like once you find a brand that has, you know, sizing and fit and design and whatever that like makes you feel good. And I mean, just whenever you even find whatever aesthetic it is that you feel like applies to who you are as a person, like knowing those things about yourself and knowing those brands is another way to kind of make shopping easier without it feeling like it's such a harmful burden. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And it doesn't make you feel so bad about yourself. I mean, like that's I I feel that way when I go to try on clothes like in the dressing room. I swear there's something about the Target dressing room. They do something in there. They do. It's the lighting happening. The lighting makes me look like I'm just like, I hate it. I want to get out of here so quickly. (laughs) Um, But that's how you should feel across the board. Your style don't adhere to trends and stuff like that. It should always be about how you feel. Yep. In the clothes like that's that's the most important thing. And I know um, as we get to talking about kind of more inclusive brands here at the end of the episode, there is a whole conversation to be had around fast fashion and sustainability uh, and stuff like that. And of course, those things are very important. That deserves its own episode. And some of these brands maybe aren't the most sustainable, although here's what I'll say to that. Um if you are like me and maybe you bought something cheap or that was fast fashion, if you are wearing it for a considerable amount of time, if you keep it for a really long time, that does help to make it more sustainable. Now it doesn't um, really address any issues of uh, labor discrimination and things like that that happen within certain fashion brands. We're very aware of that. We understand that these are two different issues. And right now we're talking about like size inclusivity and stuff like that. Right. But we will definitely address issues to do with fast fashion again at a later date for another episode (laughs) yeah yeah uh all right so let's jump into talking about some size inclusive brands that you can check out okay so ishakti is a completely customizable retailer They offer sizes from zero to 36 wide, and they have complete customization through exact body measurements. So as long as you know your body measurements, which I think is super cool, that totally changes the game. Yeah, absolutely. Because for me, you know, everyone's body is different. Right. And stuff's going to fit on you different. And if you can afford to take your clothes to get tailored, it absolutely changes the way you look. Because yeah. it's, it matches whatever your body type is. Uh, so you can have various neckline sleeves and garment length to fit your height. So that's an incredible resource. I've never shopped through them, but now I want to. Yeah, me too. We talked earlier about Ari. Ari. Uh, oh, is it Ari? Ari. It's American Airy. Eagle. It's Ari. I love them. That's where I buy like most of my bras and underwear. I found a few more brands like lately, but for probably like a good eight years, all my shit was Ari. Yeah, and they've totally stopped retouching their photos a couple of years ago, and they are more inclusive in terms of their models yeah, and their, their sizing. Their website is like, chef's kiss beautiful i love it they've done it all right yeah and you and i have talked 
I recently got a parade order. I would include them as well. If you're looking for like bras and underwears, loungewear, bodysuits, those kinds of things, like Parade is also really great. They have very diverse models yeah. and large, like well, large they have, and small sizes. And they have bralettes for like very large chested people, yes. which is like yeah. super rare. I could not talk more highly of Parade. Sponsor us first and then I'll talk more highly of you. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Um, ASOS, which is a brand that I have definitely shopped quite a bit. Yeah, it can be a um, bit fast fashion, but is exactly there is a website that is so user friendly in particular. Like you and there's so many brands within like their website and stuff as well. Like that is such an amazing, like user friendly, very size uh-huh. inclusive. There page. are so many options and they feature various sizing from straight, curvy, plus, as well as tall and petite styles. So there have definitely been things that I've found on there that I'm like, oh, this is really cute, but it's in a tall. And I'm like, oh, okay, it's just not for me. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, so there, but there are like, there's an, a very wide variety and you can shop specifically by like, if you're like, I'm over 5'8 as a woman, you can shop specifically in tall styles uh-huh. uh, and, and find stuff like that, which is really cool. And they even Love have... It. They even have um, a variety of like shoe styles. Like they carry like wide and narrow, which shoes. honestly for mm-hmm. me is huge because I have the narrowest feet known to man and I love slides. So I do yep. buy my shoes from ASOS sometimes because I can look under that narrow shoe area. Yep. Uh, swimsuits for all. So swimsuits for all is a obviously a swimsuit brand um, and they are very size inclusive as well. They have clothing. I think, I think they have swimsuits up to size 34. Uh, And I, what I loved when I was like scrolling through their Instagram is that, yes, I will say like the majority of their posts, even when they have plus size models, a lot of complaints about plus size models is that they still adhere to a very particular shape, right? Right, like a, a small waist, kind of bigger, and more of an hourglass shape. Mm-hmm. And they do have a lot of models like that, but then they do also have models who have um, different plus size shapes, like more of the apple shape with like a bigger middle and smaller legs. Uh, and they're showing what their swimsuits look like on that body type, which I think is so important. It is if you have so a body important. type. That's not represented very often. Uh, it's you want to see how the clothes look on someone like especially you. if you're buying online or if you just want a reference, you want to be able to see like not just what it's going to look like on, you know, you or I, but what it would look like on someone like you. Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, spend some time on TikTok because there are lots of creators like, you know, I want to say body positive, but probably not just like body neutral creators who are like, this is the body I exist in. Yeah. um, And this is me trying on clothes so that you can see what this kind of outfit would look like on your body type, which is very, very cool. And I love watching people try on clothes on TikTok. It's a weird thing. Love it. Um, And then the last one that I have on this list is Eloquy and they are a plus size brand. So they're not going to have, you know, size zero through whatever their their sizes start at 14 14 through 28 but it is fashion driven style which I love because I know a lot of my friends who are plus size their complaints are that they can't find fashionable clothing yes a lot of the things that they're being offered in quote-unquote plus size sections of stores are 
matronly yeah. or dowdy or big. Something that would be and more an Elaine Bryant rather than in the same vein as a Forever 21, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if it isn't a Forever 21, they don't get the same styles. They don't get the same patterns. Yeah. They don't get things that are um, trending right now. And so Eloquy, what's cool about them is that they focus on making sure that their styles are trendy yeah and fun i love that so yeah so important well i very much got a great education this week on things that i already knew a little bit about but definitely want to know more about i hope that everybody listening who is a shopper um has a better understanding of how these companies play such a huge role in how we feel about ourselves and how we feel about the clothing that we wear and how we present ourselves in the world. And so I'm glad that we got to kind of put some of these companies on blast. It was fun for me. <laughs> fun and very upsetting. So unbelievably soul, upsetting. But, yeah. but I like yeah, yeah. I like getting angry. It's kind of the whole point of the show, isn't it? True. <laughs> All right. True, true. Very, very true. So we did discuss that there are a few more topics uh, within this kind of umbrella topic that we want to cover in the future. But if there's anything else that you would like us to cover in future episodes, please email us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or message us on Instagram at angry neighborhood feminist. We have a Facebook business and group page. You can rate and review us on the business page and chat with the fellow listeners on the group page. I don't want to forget to mention that we now have have a merch store. So if you yeah. have not purchased your Angry Neighborhood Feminist merchandise, please go yeah, to get the... someone an Angry Feminist mug for Christmas. Right? Yeah, that sounds good. Get someone a Rage On tote. Mm -hmm. Get a baby, a slay the patriarchy onesie. That's all I want. I just want to oh, see a please. baby in that onesie so yes. bad. Send us your pictures. Please do. We will put them on Instagram. It's going to be a party. So if you are interested in getting any of that merch, go to the link in our bio and have a great old time. Last but certainly not least, if you haven't done so, please hop on over to the Apple Podcast app and leave us a five-star review with a quick sentence about why you enjoy the show. It brightens our day and it truly is the greatest way that you can help us all right yeah <laughs> yeah that's all we have for you today with all that being said we encourage you to, to rage, rage on. on bye contained herein are the heresies of radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator join me as i uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.